Welcome to The Clean Slate, a podcast where we chat about facilities management, commercial cleaning, and keeping the working world safe, clean, efficient, and free from risk. I'm your host, Trista Sobek. Hello, and welcome to The Clean Slate. Today on the program, we're having Juan Awukusau, who lives in Ghana, Africa, and describes himself as a champion for sustainability in facilities management. Uh, he works in a company right now who concentrates on customer experience and bringing customer experience into sustainability and sustainability into customer experience in a way to motivate people to change their behaviors. Um, you'll hear um, Juan talk about how um, every little, every little change really makes a difference. Uh, no matter how much we hear it, um, microplastics are, are poisoning our, wa- our waterways. And there are ways that facility managers can be the champion of making change, um, across the globe. So, um, we had a really enjoyable conversation and I hope you enjoy it as well. So tell me a little bit, um, about yourself and how you got started and where you're working now and facility management and sustainability. What's your, what's your background story a little bit like? All right. So, um, my name is John, John Eukusau. I, I come from Ghana, West Africa. So I'm 100% Ghanaian. I, so I'll take you back to when I was in the university in college, right? I studied building technology construction. So I was exposed to everything about how a building goes up from, you know, from the foundation right up to the roof. So basically that was my college degree. But um, when I finished with my school, right, and I started to work, my first job was actually in facility management. So back then they used to call it estate management, which is practically the same thing. Um, so it was there that I worked for a few years and I realized, hey, I actually love what I'm doing. I actually like to, you know, coordinate people and the spaces in which they live. I mean, sorry, people and the spaces in which they work, you know, and I, I'm someone who naturally likes to organize. I like to, I like, I like people. I like to talk to people. I like to organize things. I like to get things done properly. So I realized this was actually the field for me. So I, then I, I decided to do a master's. So I traveled abroad. I went to Switzerland where I did a master's in facility management. So that, that was when my knowledge was actually solidified, you know, like with, all, with a few um, years of work experience I'd gotten, I did my master's and then my knowledge really became established in facility management. So from then I, I decided to, you know, to become the best at what I do. So I started reading a lot. I started like, I joined IFMA, you know, I took, I took FM really, really seriously from that point. So after school, after the master's degree, I came back to Ghana. Then I began to work again, you know, back to the same, same company. And I guess with time as the years went by, I, I, I you know, I became really, really more experienced and, um, I did a bit of project management too. And I moved to a new company now, which is Marjora, where I'm also the head of facilities for, for the country, for Ghana. And on a day-to-day basis, we, we basically run the company office spaces, you know, in terms of the utilities, in terms of water, you know, the user, like I call it the user experience because we have a lot, we have a lot of staff over here. So basically we ensure that the staff are okay in the environment and, you know, everything goes well. 
we do a lot of coordination. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you specifically get interested into this idea of sustainability? Um, because I feel like for the last maybe 20 years, it's been such a buzzword, you know, and for a little bit, as I would say here in the States, you know, we kind of like to throw that word around as a marketing term. Um, and so I would say, like, when did you really see that, look, I have the power to make a change here and here's how I can do it? Well, I'm not, I'm not really sure exactly when it happened, but somewhere along the line, as I began to read, as I began to see how, um, how energy was being wasted around, how water was being wasted, I always felt like, no, there's a way to do this better. There's a way to make this right. Then I didn't know it was, it was called sustainability. But as I began to read, I realized, no, this is something that, you know, I could really be interested in. You know, I, I like to optimize buildings. I, don't, I, I, like, I like to be efficient. I don't like to waste naturally. So when I start, started reading about sustainability, my interest really rose. And yeah, I decided that this, this will be, you know, my niche. This is where I'd like to be, my little corner. <laughs> within the FM space. Your little corner of the FM space is uh, yes. is sustainability. I like that um, kind of figuring out how to carve that niche for you um, just based on what you're interested in. Uh, when you studied, when you got your master's, did they talk about this a lot? And what, what year was that? Um, so I graduated in 2017. So there was, there was sustainability as part of our course package. Right, but it wasn't it wasn't one particular subject that was stressed upon so much. It was just one of the you know the number of subjects that we studied in school. But it's something personally I, I always like. I mean, I love the environment, and and also yeah, I might have forgotten to say this. The company where I used to work for, they are a waste management company. So I guess I might have picked up a bit of that from there. I would the, the, say so. Company. Yeah. So you kind of see firsthand the waste that people produce as well as what what we can do with it to um because i think a lot of people have this have some challenges with understanding when you throw something away it doesn't go away you know it it's out there still so um what are some of the things that you like firsthand have seen that you want to make a difference with okay so first of all the biggest thing is plastics Right. It's, I mean, here in Ghana, it's still a big challenge, right? There's a lot of plastic out there which are generated from plastic bottles, single-use plastics. There's so many of them out there which just go back to the landfill site. And, you know, plastics take a really long time to decompose or break down. And they're just sitting at the landfill site. You know, it's, it's, it's a big thing. If the, we have a few people out here in Ghana who are doing some good stuff with plastics. They are recycling plastics. A couple of guys are, are using them for pavement blocks, you know, for the sidewalks. Wow. But there's too much plastic. Yeah, there's too much plastic and there's too few people who are recycling. You know, so there's a huge deficit and plastics is the biggest thing, is the biggest problem we have at the moment. You know, what to do with all the excess plastics. And because plastic is quite handy, most of the manufacturers like to use it because, you know, you, you, you like to package in plastic because it's easy. It's better than glass, so they say. Right. So when you, um, one of the things that I, I often hear as a, as a pushback to recycling plastics uh, is, okay, if we're recycling, we're still using a lot of energy to recycle. 
So what, you know, what's kind of the answer to that when you're having a conversation with people as far as recycling plastic? I mean, I mean, it's neither here nor there. But what, <laughs> okay. I always, what I always tell them is that, listen, the plastic always mostly ends up in the ocean. You know, think about the aquatic life, you know, the fish in the... I've seen so many terrible pictures of what plastic does to the fish in there. Some of them swallow them. Some fish get trapped in plastic pieces. It's, it's really not a very good sight. So usually I always talk about aquatic life because ultimately most of the waste ends up in the sea and if we care about our water life we should we should learn to cut out pl- plastic altogether or learn to you know reduce or recycle it right so then how how what are some of the ways that personally you draw a straight line from because um, i remember one of the things that really hit me was seeing the video of the um the sea turtle with the straw stuck in him. And it was a very famous clip and it got everybody like crazy to like switch their straws and everything. Um, which I'm like, we don't even need straws. Why do you need a straw? <laughs> you know, but, um, what are some of the things that, you know, how do you get somebody to, especially a facility manager or a company who's running a company, they're worried about the bottom line. They're worried about, you know, if they're going to be able to pay, pay their bills, if they're going to be able to pay their employees, how do you get them to care and change their, their motivations and to change things to be like, okay, don't forget no more plastic bottles in the break room. You know, how do you, how do you make that change? So I guess, I guess it's all about top management involvement. If as a facility manager anywhere, if you want to push an agenda through, you really have to get the top management involved. You know, you have to go to them with compelling evidence of why they need to recycle. And besides, honestly, recycling, the initial cost is um, getting the bins separate and getting separate containers to, to separate the waste and then giving them off to the recyclers. It's all about convincing top management. You know, once you can get the buy-in of top management, the rest of the staff would follow suit. I mean, I don't think if you put out separate bins out, the members of staff would deliberately go put, uh, for example, compost in the plastic section. No, I don't think so. Once it's an agreed-upon company policy, I think all staff members would follow through and then do what they have to do to get a recycling done. So, topmost priority is to get top management involvement, and that is where you can actually make a difference. Yeah, it almost has to be a part of the culture of the company, right? And get it ingrained in there. Um, one of the things right. that I, I came up with this week is I was talking about composting, and we have these little uh, teapods or uh, pods that have the coffee in it, and you put it in the machine, and your coffee comes out. Well, those little pods are compostable. And I'm like, why don't we compost them? Why aren't we putting them in a separate bin to just take them out, compost them, put them in some garden somewhere? You know, it'd be very easy. Um, but it's just getting people to understand. And they're like, well, then we have to separate them. We have to put them in here. So it's like getting that complacency out of the way to to be like, this is why we should be taking this extra step. And here's why it's important. Yes. And I also believe that culture behaviors can be built over time. You know, there are lots of things we don't do now, which 
when we start to do eventually as time goes on it becomes a part and parcel of us so yes eventually i mean initially there'll be the kickback because i mean people would wonder why, what, what the fuss is all about why don't they, why don't i just dump the coffee pots in the, in the bin you know but i guess with time and practice consistent practice they would get used to it and it becomes a part of their culture so right right um i like that a lot yeah it, it is practice 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 being you know modeling that behavior so um, let's get back to to your story and and facility management. You know when when was do you have like a specific moment where you were like we ha- I have to get people to start changing their ways. You know, you said you worked in the. I kind of interrupted your flow there. You were talking about working in the waste management um, and plastics, but now we're also hearing about microplastics, uh, which I guess are basically in everything and don't break down. So, <laughs> you know, what are could you th- do like five things that facility managers can do to focus on you know getting rid of plastics and and microplastics? Okay, um, getting rid completely or, you know, reducing? I guess reducing. Uh, you know, we're not going to get rid of it unless somebody is king of the world and says, you know, we have to step back uh, in time. Um, unfortunately, our technology, I don't think, will let us let us do that. But definitely reducing and being aware. Maybe five, five to seven things, whatever you can think of. Okay, so wh- where I work at the moment, right? Um, we have we have these water dispensers, right? Water fountain, and you know typically where we have the water dispensers, they produce like these plastic cups, right? Where anyone who needs water just picks you know a little plastic cup, you know gets get a cup of water and then put it in the bin, right? But where I work, we don't do that. Everyone is supposed to get a bottle, a water bottle. You know, every member of staff. So if you come to work without a bottle, you're probably not going to have any water. <laughs> You know, because there's no cup for you. <laughs> no cup for you. <laughs> I like that. There's no, there's no cup for anybody. You know, so everyone is encouraged to get their own water bottle or you bring your own mug or, or cup, you know, and that, that really cuts down. That's like a typical example of how you can cut down the use of plastics like drastically because those plastic cups, you know, someone takes a sip of water and it's in the bin. I mean, you can accumulate like hundreds of them within a single How week. wasteful, right? I mean, how incredibly wasteful. Yes, very, very wasteful. And these are single-use plastics. So you can imagine where they're going to end up next, somewhere in the landfill and probably stuck in the ground for the next hundred years. Right. You know, yes. So that, that's like that's like one big way of you know reducing um, plastic usage. The second would be uh, recycling. You know, if and when members of staff you know bring plastic bottles to work or plastic elements, plastic bags, you should always have a dedicated bin where they can you know throw them out when they are done. And then you'd have a recycler who can pick them up at the end of the month, at the end of the week. I don't know how, with whatever arrangement you have. The third would be um, to encourage the use of paper bags. You know, those, those the famous brown paper bags. It's it's nicer to encourage those ones as opposed to using plastic, plastic bags. You know, probably when you bring your lunch to work, you can bring in a nice brown paper bag. And it's easier, right? Because we, we don't use plastic and then we also end up saving the, the environment as well. Right, right. You know, I, I remember um, back in Switzerland, when you go to a shop to buy stuff, to do like a grocery shop, to do your shopping, right? If you want a plastic bag, 
you have to pay for it. We're just starting you know, they, that in the States. Just beginning. Yes, yes, they, they, yes, they don't give it to you for free. But they encourage you to buy um, these bigger bags, which can be used several times for your shopping. But if you, want, if you insist you want a plastic bag, they actually sell it to you. And that's like a, a demotivator to use plastic bags. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Because it's easier to just get an actual bag and then, you know, come grocery shopping with it whenever you want to. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Okay, another one. Um, yeah, so another one would be uh, cutlery. You know, the plastic cutlery, especially for events and parties, right? It's easier, it's easier to just have plastic plates and spoons and knives. And when everyone is done eating and drinking, you just toss them in the trash. That's the easier, easier option, right? But that's also not environmentally friendly. Right. We'd have to go back to the, you know, to using forks and knives, proper actual forks and knives and, you know, and plates and stuff. It's a lot more work, but it's more of a environmentally friendly. Right. You know. Yeah. I'm thinking about yes, any, any break room, you know, that I've been in, in the last, you know, 10 years, maybe has all had plastic cutlery, plastic, plastic, everything, you know, plastic, you know, plates. So it's like, why don't you just bring your own plate and... You know, and it you, like you said, it goes back to to culture and from top down. Mm-hmm. And especially at work, I know most most offices will have like a kitchen or a canteen or something, right? So it's a tough decision, but take away all the plastic cutlery. You know, take everything off. Let everyone bring their own mugs or their own cups. You know, their own spoons, everything. Let them bring it themselves. When you come, you can um, probably locker space can be. Provision for locker space can be made for everyone so that you keep your cups and your spoons and plates in there. So you go for them when you need them. You know how we have all these coffee machines with plastic cups and plastic pods? It's, it's a whole lot of plastic in our system now. And I think it's easier if we find, you know, very tactical ways to, to cut them out completely. Yep. You were, one of the things I wanted to key in on, um, struggling back, you were talking about taking the plastics and making them into blocks so you can make the streets. How does that work? And is that, is that pretty common that you've seen or, you know, can you explain that process a little bit more? All right. So it's, so I think it's so far I've seen two people, two people in, in this country in Ghana who actually do this. Now they pick up the plastic. Uh, they have a way of compacting it. They add some other materials to it. And you actually have a block, you know, which is solid, which is strong, which can be which can be used as a construction material. I saw on a video somewhere one of these African countries where they used plastic bottles to to actually make to, to build like houses, you know. Obviously, not 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 a full like story building, but they used it to, to create homes. I personally know a lady where, with a company called Trashy Beauties. She uses plastic bottles for to make um, artifacts, you know, decorations, collectibles. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would have, if, if I thought about this earlier, I would have brought pictures. I could send you pictures after this podcast. Okay, that'd be so great. Yeah. Yeah, she actually makes flowers with, with, she actually makes flowers, you know, with plastic bottles. Amazing. You know? Yeah, and these, these are like, these are like collectibles you can keep in your home as decorations you can hang on your wall, you know, and in doing so, the plastic doesn't go immediately to the recycle. Um, doesn't go immediately to the um, the dump site. You know, right. at least it gets, it gets to stay longer in the system before it's finally, um, you know, thrown away. How long does it take a, a plastic bottle to break down when it's in the land landfill? 
hundred years. Over hundred. And you know, it, it doesn't actually break down completely. It only breaks into microplastic. Right. So yes, it will disintegrate, but it doesn't break down the way compost breaks down, becomes part of the soil. Plastic never really breaks down completely. That's the problem. So as much as plastic is nice and handy and easy to use, it's, it's a big problem for us. Right. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, how facilities, ma- how facility managers really play a part in, in this whole thing? Um, you know, they, they run the buildings, they run the people, they, you know, how can they um, really make sure that this is a priority? Okay, so before before I answer that question, I'll just give a little preamble if that's fine. Yeah, that's okay with you. Absolutely. You know, um, you know. So the earth, the earth on, on which we live on, is about seventy one percent water and about twenty nine percent land, right? And even with this twenty nine percent land, human beings have built on approximately just about ten percent of it. And the built environment that's all buildings put together it generates about fifty percent of all global CO two emissions. Wow. And that's 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 a whooping amount. Yeah, almost fifty percent buildings alone, almost fifty percent, you know, of CO two emissions worldwide. And look at this stat: the average human spends about ninety percent of their time indoors. And this is actually an American stat, you know. I was going to say know, that's probably Americans spend ninety percent of their day indoors. Then we say that the facility manager is the custodian of the built environment because there are several um, there are several professionals in the built environment. There's the architects, there's the planners, there's the engineers, but the facility managers are people that actually take care of the built environment. We are like the custodians, the gatekeepers, if if you want to say. So there's no other profession better suited to champion sustainability than the facility managers. It's just what it is. You know, if, if you are the gatekeeper, then you might as well take charge of sustainability because the buildings are releasing 50% of global CO2 emissions. You know, that's whooping. And if facility managers don't take care of their buildings, th- this could get worse as time goes on. Right. And so the facility, facility manager, go ahead, go ahead. No, so uh, they're in the prime position. They are are just at the right place to control this, you know. Right, and it's just about taking that. It's almost like what happened to you. You have to take that personal responsibility um, to say, you know, I'm going to bring this to my professional job and, you know, not not allow allow it to go further than here, (laughs) you know, when you're making decisions. Is there anything besides plastics that um, has piqued your interest um, when it comes to buildings and keeping them more sustainable? Yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, there's, there's a whole lot, right? So there's also paper, right? You know, you know, some trees have to go down for paper to be produced. Trees have to be cut for paper to be produced. Now. By no means would I say, I would not sit here today and say, no, paper is not important. No, paper is very important. But we can, we can reduce the amount of paper we use. You know, now in the offices, we, we, need, we can print only when it's necessary. You really don't have to print every single document. I mean, there's email, there's, there's collaborative work platforms like SharePoint. You know, there are ways to work online without actually printing. So I'd say, what I'd always say to people at work is, Print only when it's really, really important. Let's save paper. 
you know if you have to print hey you, you can do a front and back you know should i use use like one sheet instead of two you know it's it's a little thing right you may not see how how important it is but from your own little corner if everyone should you know should start saving on the paper you know the the, the paper they use globally would would probably be getting somewhere you know so usually at the workplace i always encourage people to hey print less print less let's do more emails let's do more collaborative online working and then try to reduce the amount of paper we use right you know we can let, let's give the printers a rest <laughs> the printers and the photocopiers <laughs> yeah sometimes they don't work anyway so <laughs> might as well ah. <laughs> enjoying the podcast leave a review to otherwise support our podcast please share and follow us on your favorite streaming platform you can also visit our website to find show notes and more info on each episode at www.openworksweb.com backslash podcast want to be a guest on an upcoming podcast check out the information in the description to apply we'll see you next time and remember keep it clean Thank you.